If you are joining us by television this morning or live streaming on the web, a particular and special welcome to you. We are delighted that you have joined us this morning. To give you a little of the context as we begin to explore this passage together, most of you will be aware that over these last few Sundays we have been focused on the birth of Moses and we saw on that study the protecting hand of God upon Moses. We then saw that Moses was raised in the palace of Pharaoh and he received a first-class education in terms of science and math and astronomy and economics. He had some military training. He was groomed and poised to be a prince of Egypt. And then, rather sadly, he took another man's life when he became so angry on one occasion, and he then had to flee the capital of Egypt, and he lived in the far side of the desert for 40 years while God was preparing him to go back to Egypt. And when he returned to Egypt, he asked Pharaoh to let the Hebrew people go free. Pharaoh said no, and for several weeks afterwards, God sent one plague after another, after another, after another, to force the hand of Pharaoh. And eventually, Pharaoh gives in and releases the Hebrew people from slavery and bondage. To give you a sense of what was involved, there were almost 1.2, 1.3 million Hebrew slaves in Egypt at the time. So this is a spectacular uh, challenge for, for Moses. And so we break into Exodus 14 at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. And so he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Piharoth, opposite Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And as we come to this passage this morning and explore it together, let me paint a couple of pictures for you. And the first is that of Pharaoh and the national leadership of Egypt. 
when they realize that the Hebrew people in the middle of the night gathered up all of their belongings and left Egypt and were heading towards a promised land, they began to realize the enormity of what had just taken place. They realized that this slave workforce was no longer at their disposal. Pharaoh understood that the major construction projects across the nation of Egypt would grind to a halt. There were no slave workers. There were Egyptians who were paid a salary to oversee the building and construction of endless temples and pyramids. If you go to Egypt today, that's why people go as tourists. They want to see these spectacular, spectacular monuments. And once they realize they've lost their workforce and construction has ground to a halt, it impacts national morale. And those who do have jobs realize they can't continue because they have no workforce and it plummets again. You know the economy will be affected. You know import-export trade, the ripple effects, will impact every area of life. And here is Pharaoh and the national leadership saying, what have we done? What have we done? And notice what the passage says. We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. And in verse 6, so we had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over them all. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It's not a strange verse to find in there. Wouldn't it be much more comforting to read that passage and it said, and the Lord softened Pharaoh's heart and Pharaoh let them go. What that passage tells us is this, and you see it several places in Scripture, that when God appeals to an individual again and again and again and again, when he works clearly and succinctly in an intentional manner, and that individual treats him with contempt and disdain, there will come a time when God will no longer appeal to that individual. He will simply take his hands off and stand back and let that individual do what they wish to do. When sin gets hold of a heart, it twists that heart. It holds that heart to ransom as a hostage to sin. And sin has always a tranquilizing and an addictive and an enslaving effect on the soul of an individual. And sin can always justify to the individual what that individual wants to do. And here was Pharaoh determined to bring the Hebrew people back. 
And I can imagine him preparing not only his, ca- his infantry, his generals, cavalry, chariots, everything to seek after the Israelites and bring them back. And I imagine him as he was several days behind them, chasing after them, thinking to himself, okay, Moses, this is it. I've been patient with you. I've tried to be accommodating to your desires, but Moses, this is it. In the middle of the desert, there's no Nile to turn into blood. Moses, there's no homes for frogs to take over. There's no gnats or flies. There's no infestation of residences. You are in the middle of the desert, and Moses, you will face the wrath of the Egyptian armed forces. All of that is going through his mind. And he is thinking that Moses and those closest to him will be killed on the spot, and we will drive these Israelites back to Egypt. All of that is taking place in the mind of Pharaoh. But over here, the Israelites don't know what's happening in Egypt. And they're excited. They are animated. They are eager to get to the promised land. They want to put the past behind them. They want to be an independent nation to determine their own destiny And after all, isn't God with us given that one plague after another after another forced Pharaoh into letting us go? They are excited about their future. They can't wait for it to come. But as the passage develops, what comes next? Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up. And there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to this desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been Better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, what is going on here? Here are the Hebrew people beginning to realize that whenever the hand of God is upon your life, Whenever he changes and transforms your circumstance, he gives you freedom. Freedom to worship him, to follow him. Freedom to fight back against the temptation of sin in our lives. And to feel and sense the great contentment, sense of fulfillment as you understand the love and grace of God which overwhelms us. We become new people. And here were the people of Israel enjoying the blessing and the presence of God, celebrating, excited, full of anticipation for the years to come. And then it all changes. All changes. 
They could have gone in the northern route along the seacoast, but there are garrisons and Egyptian soldiers there, and they thought, well, let's not push it. And so rather than go south into what is basically desert land in the Sinai Peninsula, they thought we'll take a middle route. And then they begin to realize the direction we're going, we are going at some point to have to think, how do we cross the Red Sea? And someone will say, well, Moses will probably have it worked out. Wasn't it spectacular what he did with those plagues, one after another, after another? Red Sea, it'll take care of itself. And then the Egyptian army are approaching. And they were terrified. Terrified. Not just lacking understanding. Not just looking to Moses to say, Moses, do you have a plan? They were terrified. Terror in a group is just awful. Because panic follows very quickly. And at some point, someone is going to say, wait a minute, hold on. We know that Pharaoh is coming. We know that he's bringing infantry and cavalry. We know the Egyptian chariots are going to get here fairly quickly. And the Red Sea is in front of us. We're at an impasse, not just an impasse, an impossible impasse. And incidentally, why would God do this to us? Why would he offer us freedom back in Egypt? Why would he tell us about a promised land? Why would he tell us about becoming his children and his chosen people and be an independent nation who could determine our own future and raise our children the way we want to? Why would he do all that and then drive us into this cul-de-sac filled with fear and uncertainty? What is he doing What's going on? Now, wouldn't you like to hear Moses explain that at the family dinner table? Now, please remember, further on in the book of Exodus, Exodus 33, 11, we read these words. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Can you imagine what that was like? That the sovereign God of the entire universe would meet with Moses and converse with him. Now remember, at no time does a passage tell us Moses was terrified. And no time does the passage say he was concerned. In fact, the opposite was the case. What happens? How does Moses respond? Verse 13, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. You will see it. 
The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. There's a lesson right there, isn't there? When you're fearful, when you're uncertain, when panic is beginning to just overwhelm you, moving around and stumbling in the dark is never a good thing. Never a good thing. Stand still. He's got it. You can trust him. He's got it. And it's almost as if Moses is saying to them, don't you remember the plague of blood? And don't you remember the gnats and the flies and the frog? Don't you remember all of that? When God in his sovereign care provided one miraculous event after another, after another. Do you think he's going to bring disaster now? And the Egyptian people are still caught up with what on earth were we thinking? We were so much better off in Egypt. Why didn't you leave us there? God, what are you doing? In the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11, Moses is mentioned several times. And right there, the author to Hebrews says this, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. He saw him who is invisible. Moses refused to focus on the Egyptian army and Pharaoh. Absolutely refused because he was not impressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. Moses was impressed by God. That's what makes the difference. That's why Moses was the man he was. He was impressed by God. He was impressed with Alpha and the Omega, very God of very God, God who is transcendent in majesty and power and glory and imminent in grace. That's where his focus was, not on the Egyptians. And when you find yourself in a blind dead-end cul-de-sac with nowhere else to go and you do not know how to respond. You don't look back to Egypt. You look heavenwards to the living God. And why did God drive them into this blind cul-de-sac in the first place? Well, please hear this. The more ingrained earth thinking, the more ingrained our patterns of behavior, the more acute and dark that cul-de-sac will be because in that cul-de-sac, he needs to break patterns of behavior that were appropriate for Egypt, but absolutely inappropriate for the promised land. And he's saying to them this, you are my people. You are a chosen people. And I love you for 
all eternity, and I will never let you go. But you have to understand this. The past is the past. You cannot live there. You do not want to go back there, and your past should never, ever, ever define who you are. You belong to me. I've got you. I will walk with you. I will be right there for you. And when Moses stood on the banks of the Red Sea, and God in all of his sovereign creative power parted that sea, he needed them to understand that the preparation for approaching the sea was every bit as important as actually going through it because he needed to wean them off of past thinking and past habits and past patterns of behavior. And the more ingrained they are, the harder it will be to leave them behind. Now, isn't that a picture of our own sin as well? that tells you it's okay to sin. It's no big deal. Nobody bothers these days. Scripture is absolutely clear. Do not be deceived. Your sin will find you out. God is not mocked. And we never, ever, ever get to treat him in a casual offhand manner. Never. And Moses provided, talk about national leadership, talk about being the man of the moment, talk about being God's man. He utterly and absolutely refused to give in to Pharaoh and the Egyptian army because he had seen him who is invisible. That's where our focus needs to be. And if you are here this morning and you are facing tough days ahead, if you have major challenges, if the prognosis is not good, he still has you and still loves you and will never let you go. Never. In a few moments, as we sing our closing hymn this morning, we're going to step forward as individuals and families because this is for us Commitment Sunday. And on these tables at the front of the sanctuary, you who have worshipped with us over the years know exactly what to do to bring your commitment card, put it on the table. And by doing so, this is what you are saying. You are saying, I want to be part of a church who is living and vibrant. I want to be a part of a church who on Sunday morning and throughout the week will equip me to live out my faith. I want to be part of a church that provides for me a secure and warm spiritual home. I want a church that will feed my soul. I want a church who cares for our city, who's concerned about transforming the spiritual heart of our city. I want a church who is going to equip me to day by day by day by day, live out my faith. I want a church 
who will help us to see him who is invisible and to walk with him each day. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this remarkable passage of Scripture. And thank you that on this Commitment Sunday, as individuals and families, we come before you and prayerfully and sacrificially give to the ministries you have called us to. Father, we know that these ministries make a significant difference in the lives of those we serve. Father, thank you for your faithfulness to us and grant to us the opportunity amid significant challenges to see him who is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.